So uh, glad you guys have a chance to see me in a small, intimate place like this. Don't expect it to happen uh, again. <laughs> I'm about to be really fucking famous. <laughs> I, uh, I mean it. I'm not going to be playing at places with of the arts in their name anymore. <laughs> Moving up. Thing is, I figured it out. I figured comedy out. Figured out how to make it with talent or without. It doesn't matter. It's all in the catchphrase. You just have to have a good catchphrase, something like, get her done. <laughs> or, mm, I'm gonna fuck that potato. <laughs> I'm working on it, I've come up with a really good catchphrase. I think you guys are gonna like it. My new catchphrase is, that's it. <laughs> that's the joke. <laughs> that's it, that's the joke. <laughs> Hope it was good. Uh, listen, I, uh, at this point, can't afford a lawyer, uh, so I don't have anyone to write up a living will for me, but I do have wishes on what should happen in the case of my demise. So what I do is uh, I go and I express these wishes to stand-up comedy audiences, and I just hope that uh, in the event of my death, you guys will speak up. Like, excuse me, grieving widow, but I saw him at Of The Arts and uh, told me what he wanted was this. Uh, listen carefully, though, because I don't want you to hear it differently than you. I don't want you guys fighting during what's going to be, obviously, a very trying moment for you <laughs> in your life when you've just lost the that's it, that's the joke guy. <laughs> so in the event of my death, I'd like to be cremated. And uh, next, I would like for you guys to go to Costco. Uh, you can hit my wife up for our card. She'll let you use it. They don't check IDs. It'll work. <laughs> I want you to buy a big bag of walnuts, and I want you to crack those walnuts open take the nuts part out, you can have those, that's for you. But I want you to take the shells and I want you to put a little bit of my ashes in each of the shells and I'd like you to glue them closed again. And then please distribute those to my loved ones. So that they can say, well, you know, that's Keith in a nutshell. <laughs> yes, that's it, that's the joke. It must be a good... Must be a good catchphrase because people are doing it for me already, and that's a sure sign. Hello, everyone. Welcome to 15 Minutes, a podcast about fame and or whatever else comes up. I am Jamie, your humble host. We are just getting done with celebrating our second anniversary. This is episode 60, the beginning of our third year. Uh, last month, episode 59 was with David Sedaris. If you haven't listened to it, it's chock full of not safe for fresh air, jokes, conversation, and other goodies. Also in May, we recorded our first live show that will be broken up into episodes coming to you in August. But for now, episode 60 is a conversation with comedian Keith Lowell Jensen, who is somebody I started following on Twitter last year, uh, in part because I find his political tweets comforting. I had Keith on my list of people to contact to see about having him on the show, and this spring, I noticed that his, his new album, Bad Comedy for Bad People, 
had hit number one on the iTunes charts. And I thought that's a good time to talk to someone about success and fame and career and stuff. So I contacted him and we recorded a couple of months ago via the Skype machine and we had a good time. We talked about, among other things, uh, his calling out his pervy middle school teacher, letting go of his crudge on Julie for throwing his Boogie Down Productions cassette across the cafe, his friendship with Robin Williams, and we talked a little bit about TMZ and how much fame is too much fame, and a whole lot more fun stuff, and there are a bunch of jokes in there from Keith's chart-topping LP, and I'll tell you more about how to get and find Keith Lowell Jensen on the other side. We spoke in April. Keith. Hey, how you doing, Jamie Berger? Hello. Now that you've had a best-selling record. For a minute. The better part of a week. <laughs> is is that the, the first album of yours that has achieved such chart topping? Um, yeah, I think I think that's the highest I've gone. I mean, I've been in the top ten before, but I think that's the first time I tapped that number one spot uh, and held on to it for a while. That was nice. It, 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 is it more just something to grin about? Does it, it Does it mean or do anything beyond that in these days of nobody buying? I don't think that it's going to have an, a big impact on my life. Um, you know, it'll be a couple extra bucks in my pocket and, uh, your careers grow slowly. You, you have these big jumps and those big jumps are what you hear about. And those big jumps are exciting to, to talk about and make movies about and put in people's biographies. Um, but I remember, uh, kids in the hall talking about looking back and realizing all these significant jumps they made that at the time felt like we're just still really working and not making it. <laughs> mm -hmm. you know? mm -hmm. And they were like, yeah, that was a significant jump, but we were still having trouble paying our rent and getting fed. And so it's, it's hard to feel those jumps that eventually all added up and, and put you in a position to have a career, you know? Uh, and this is definitely a, a decent one of those. I mean, it's not a huge job, but it, yeah, it's going to help. But in terms of living those little artistic dreams, you seem to be one who does a lot of them because you've got a comic book going. Not not a comic book, but like a strip. Right. I'm sorry, an online strip, which is really fun. Were you friends with um, the person you're doing it with before? Not really. He drew me at... Uh, yeah, Evan drew me at a comedy show, and that's Evan's thing. He's an aspiring comedian himself. Evan Swoboda. Um, but he goes to comedy shows, and he draws all the comics that perform. He draws them on napkins, and then he gives them to him after the show. And I really liked his drawing of me, and so we started talking. And I, I've collaborated with several other comics over the years. I really like – or uh, comic book artists, I should say. I, I, I really like – doing comics and so i'm always looking for the, the next collaborator and him and i have done more strips together now than i than i ever did with any other collaborator um so that's nice and we use patreon so that i'm able to pay him because the writing is writing that i'm doing anyway for my stand-up career so that's why it's even called stand-up comics um but 
the the artist, I mean, he's trying to make a living. And I think that's what's hurt the collaborations in the past is that, you know, just it's so hard to monetize it. And that's where Patreon is just a godsend because it's like if people want the content, they could pay for it. And we don't have a lot of patrons, but there's, you know, enough to give him a couple bucks each time. And then there's this incentive. There's like as we get more patrons, you get more money. Um, I imagine at some point I'll want some of that money, too. But for now, I'm just really happy to keep him paid and keep him going, you know. So hopefully anybody listening will go sign up on Patreon. Indeed. support us making more comics um we did one longer sort of uh autobiographical story uh about me being in high school um that i don't know if you came across the led zeppelin high story i've listened to it a few times lately so we did a comic of that and and uh, that's a, a good indicator of what we'd like to do more of in the future as we get more support and and more money coming in as we'd like to take our time and do some bigger autobiographical strips instead of the, the quick setup and joke. I, uh, I was a troubled kid. I have sympathy for the troubled kids. I like them. Uh, there have always been troubled kids. There have always been depressed kids. I was a depressed kid. You would have known because I had black fingernail polish. That's how we did it back then. <laughs> so it like people, all right, some of my folks are here. I don't do that now because now I can just grow a sadness beard. We have new ways <laughs> of expressing it. There's so many troubled kids in this country that there are two stores in every mall in America specifically catering to depressed teenagers. Hot Topic and Torrid, you know? That's a uniquely capitalist way to respond to a bad situation. Hey, uh, Tom, what are we gonna do about this epidemic of teenage depression? Shit, I don't know, Rich, uh, but I bet I could sell those kids some Joy Division (laughs) t-shirts. Hell yeah, I'll invest. <laughs> I, was, I was a troubled enough kid that they sent me to a special school called a continuation school. Yeah, some of you guys know continuation school? For those of you that aren't hip to it, it was the school behind the school. <laughs> it was a school that was usually in mobile units because they wanted us to get used to living that way. <laughs> You could always recognize these schools by their terrible names and their large daycare facilities. <laughs> terrible names they give them. Like they don't want to waste a good name on us. You know? The one I went to in Roseville is called Success High. <laughs> is that optimistic or mean? <laughs> I can't decide. It's brilliant though, isn't it? Success High. It's just two words, success high. It's the thing we'll never achieve and the reason why. (laughs) When I was at Success High, there was a new continuation school opening because fucked up kids is a growth market. They decided they would take the opportunity to teach us about American democracy. They were gonna let us suggest names and then vote on the name for the new school. So they called us all together to show us how it was done, they suggested a name first. The teachers and the staff came up with Adelante High School. Like, that's what we're going to call it. They explained why it was great. They put the uh, school in a Hispanic neighborhood. They wanted to acknowledge that with the name. I was like, they don't want us there. <laughs> they got stuck with us. Don't pay tribute to them. Call it Honky School. <laughs> Little Mexican kids worked fucking hard. <laughs> like us, privileged we could afford to screw up. 
They said, we want to call it Adelante High School, but you can suggest names too. Who wants the first suggestion? Brian shoots his hand up. Now, Brian was the kid whose parents let him grow his hair long, and his dad actually would buy him the spandex pants that he saw in the Bon Jovi video. <laughs> like, Brian was a fun kid. Shoots his hand up. The teacher says, okay, Brian, no one, it's going to be something fun. And Brian says, Led Zeppelin High. Says, all right, Led Zeppelin High, Brian. He writes it on there. He says, all right, what else? What are the rest of you got? And we're all, no, nah, man. Led Zeppelin High. <laughs> Partially because we all liked Led Zeppelin. It didn't matter if you were a goth, a metalhead, what, you liked Zeppelin, you know? But also because we saw the look in their eyes when they realized, oh shit, we can't call it Led Zeppelin High. <laughs> like, what have we done? Democracy might be a really terrible, terrible idea. So, then they have to campaign, and they campaign their asses off. We didn't, because Led Zeppelin sells itself. <laughs> the day to vote came. They counted up the votes. They didn't have to count them twice, because Led Zeppelin won in a landslide. <laughs> yeah, so that fall, sure enough, Adelante High School opens up. <laughs> And it turns out they taught us a lot more about American democracy than they originally intended to. An interview with you uh, and someone named Shannon mm. from a vaguely spiritual website a few years ago. Mm. Uh, I think it was from uh, Patheos. Oh, okay, yeah. I think, I think I know who you're talking about. Yeah. And she asked you what has been the most rewarding aspect of pursuing a career yep. in stand-up comedy, to which you ostensibly replied... I bet you probably did. Letters from people telling me my comedy has meant something to them has made me feel less has made them feel less alone or more confident in some aspect of themselves. Music and comedy did this for me during a sometimes rough childhood, and I love the idea of others getting strength and comfort for, from my art, which I just I think is interesting in terms of why we pursue somewhat public careers. Yeah, I, I will never deny that I like attention. Uh, and, and I don't think that that's a bad thing. We have such a, oh, you're just trying to get attention. You know, we automatically have this negative thing on that. I, I like attention. And, and the only time it's a problem is if you don't learn a good way to, to get it, you know. Um, and it's funny because as I have this very socially acceptable way, <laughs> an appropriate way to get attention, <laughs> I'm now really boring at parties. I, I don't I don't want to be life of the party. I don't want to have attention at the party. I, it's like I have a place for that, you know. Um, so I mean, the reason I bring that up is I, I never want to deny that, that that I think is the primary motivator. I, I like attention. I like the attention that's involved in, in doing the arts. It, it did. It meant so much to me as a kid. It got, it's weird, the little things that, that touched my life. Um, the, the movie Arthur, for some reason, with, with Dudley Moore, that just, God, that just really hit me hard as a kid. And I and I loved it so much. And I, I rewatched it as an adult. And I'm like, oh, my God, it was so dark. <laughs> you know, um, that, that movie's a little darker, more twisted than a lot of people realize. Um the, the Beatles, the music of the Beatles meant so much to me. Uh, the writing of, of Herman Hess, uh, these people that as a kid made me feel less alone. Or in the, in the comedy front, um, J.R. Bob Dobbs and the Church of the Subgenius, which is 
they were a major part of my life and they're they're a satirical church but they're utterly sincere as well in a lot of the critique and the values that they present um and and the thought that i could be that for someone else that's a thrilling thought and so when i do get a letter saying hey you know you talking about this talking about that meant a lot to me um yeah that that really that does me a lot of good it makes me feel like what i'm doing has some importance yeah and, and relevant importance relevance and is doing some vague good in the world yeah which is which is really when you know people get really allergic when i say i have a podcast about fame because they're grossed out but it's about attention and success and why we live in this culture i was just getting mad at, at tweets just now about Khloe Kardashian and Tristan Thompson, which is ridiculous. I'm, I'm not even going to go there. Um, but I, <laughs> I, I often say... No, I want to know. What, what about a major man? Because this whole week, like somebody decided to post pictures of this NBA basketball player, you know, making out with two women in a club while his, his wife, are they married? Khloe Kardashian's about to have a baby. You know, and throwing around the word cheater and all. But I kind of feel like if you're a Cardassian and you're married to an NBA basketball player, either you have some sort of an arrangement or you're not being realistic. <laughs> and the world shouldn't be calling him a cheater. They should just, I mean, but, but of course, that's what you get when you decide to be or hang out with the super famous is you got to just ignore. You know, maybe he is. Maybe he's a douchebag and she, they didn't have an arrangement. But cheater, I don't know. We don't know. That's why. Yeah, and they're a particular brand of fame. Um, but I, I was really surprised when I found out that the um, I forget what they call it, but there's like the zone, the the TMZ. Um, that's a tiny little area that you could completely avoid ever going into. I've seen footage of, of paparazzi harassing Sarah Jessica Parker where they're literally following her down the street and she's just trying to live her life. Mm -hmm. um, or where Brad Pitt has to like sneak out of a building. And, and I'm like, okay, that's not cool. But everything that occurs in the TMZ, that the TMZ is a stage. It's a, it's a zone. It's an area in Hollywood that is a stage. And you go there to be in the tabloids. You go there to be a train wreck in public. And, and and I don't hate the Kardashians. A lot of people hate them so much. I, I don't. I think maybe their success doesn't say great things about us as a culture. But <laughs> see, I don't. I don't blame them for what they're doing. And it's like they are putting on that show, and that's they're famous for being famous. Mm -hmm. You know, that's their whole thing. Is and and they got to keep this train wreck coming. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if someday we found out that a lot of it was was scripted. Um, oh, yeah. But then again, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we didn't. <laughs> I, I wouldn't be surprised to know that that because I know an awful lot of people whose lives are just train wrecks, and I'm like, man, the right producer could come along and you could be a TV show because the way you're living, you know. Whereas my life's really boring, and I just uh, if if I'm not being paid to go out, I, I stay at home most nights, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> chill with my family, um, and and me and my family are nice to each other, which is so boring. Uh, so yeah, that it's weird. It's like that kind of fame, and then whatever sort of fame that that other artists deal with, I feel like aren't quite the same thing, even if there's some overlap. Oh yeah, it, it's yeah, absolutely. There, there's this whole another stratosphere of it for its own sake that may you know 
My my listeners don't want to hear me talking about how it, as much as anything else, may have made a president. It sure did. Because um, it's the thing he's succeeded at. Right. Period. He's gotten really famous. Yep. He was really rich, kind of might have gained or lost some money, got really famous. That is a value in and of itself in our culture. And that we, res- I think we resent the Kardashians I, more as a culture, those of us who do, more than, yeah, I don't hate them personally. I hate the TV shows when I turn it on. Right. And yet sometimes when, if I'm flipping channels, I will stay for a second, like watching a, a car wreck. Yeah. I, I can honestly, I've never seen an episode. Uh, but then again, I mostly just watch cartoons. Uh, you guys excited about voting? Yeah. One of the big issues that we're talking about are reproductive rights. And I don't know about you guys, but as far as rights go, I really like them. Big favor. <laughs> uh, I like rights, but as far as rights go, reproductive rights are amongst my favorite rights. Because uh, I really like fucking. <laughs> oh my God, have you guys tried fucking? <laughs> like, it's incredible. You guys should do it. Uh... I like fucking, but I also like deciding when and where I have children. (laughs) I like being in control of that, of when we make kids. You know, my wife gets some influence as well. (laughs) (laughs) But I like that we can control that. You know, and the reason that that's important is because I like fucking more than I like controlling. (laughs) That's just a sad state about human beings that I'm willing to admit. We do. We like fucking more than we like actually controlling our reproduction because when we couldn't control our reproduction, it didn't stop us from fucking one iota. (laughs) Really, Jim? Another kid? You've got 13 kids already. What am I supposed to do, Bob? Quit fucking? (laughs) Good point, Jim. Good point. (laughs) And besides, most of them aren't going to make it anyway. I know, Jim, and eventually they're going to romanticize this as the good old days. Isn't that weird? It's a trip, brother. It's a trip. Guess we should try to enjoy it. I'm going to go home and fuck. Uh, Thank you. I do. I love fucking. And uh, there's a joke whenever they're talking about reproductive rights. There's a joke that old conservatives love to tell. And I've heard it told by Rush Limbaugh, and I've heard it told by many other old conservatives. And the joke goes like this. They say, listen here. Listen here, little ladies. They like to talk to the little ones because the big ones intimidate them. (laughs) They say, listen, little ladies, this is nothing new. We had birth control in my day, too. We had a birth control pill. It was called an aspirin. Yeah, you just held it between your knees. What they mean is women keep your legs closed. I don't mind explaining. I want my comedy to be accessible. (laughs) That's the joke they tell. Women keep your legs closed. I hear them tell this joke, and it makes me so sad. Because these men reached that age and that position of power, and they don't know that women can totally have sex with their legs together. (laughs) Their knowledge of anatomy is that piss poor, and they're making decisions for me? No, thank you. Especially sad when you consider the aspirin positions are like the hottest positions going, right? <laughs> Some of you don't know? Fuck, when you get home, bust out an aspirin. I'm telling you. 
Hell, it could be a Flintstone vitamin. It could be a Tic Tac. It need not have medicinal value. Just think of me when you do it. Thank you guys so much. You've been beautiful. Good night. In terms of all this and, and being national versus not, how much attention would be just enough and how much or is is right now your life just enough? And is it more about making a better income or, you know? It, it's really the, the income is a big part of it because um, if, if the income's higher, you can spend more time being creative. Uh, the only time I, I, I don't, think that there's much chance of me getting, you know, too famous, as they say, at this point in my life. I, I think I, I would have been further along already. So that's not something that keeps me up at night. Um, the only time that it would be too famous is if it was interfering in my family's life. If it was affecting my daughter, um, that would be too famous. That's a reason I hesitated to bring up. It's on the album, though, so I, you don't seem to be hiding from it. Uh, but you don't seem, she doesn't seem to have tweeted since the end of last year. <laughs> and I won't say her handle. She, oh, you can't. Max the Tiger. I mean, it's public for a reason. Max the Tiger. But it also doesn't have, like, her real information on it. Um, she uh, doesn't say amazing things in short bursts quite as often anymore. Uh, is part of it. And the other part of it is uh, she's still saying brilliant things, but now there are whole long diatribes. She'll give a lecture. Uh, but I, I need to also just be more disciplined myself about updating it because there's still some good ones uh, rolling out of her. And we, we do have twice as many characters to work with now. That's true. They did double that. Yeah, so, yeah, so. Uh, but yeah, that, I mean, I explained on the album that all started just because she was, uh, she started talking at one. And I think when a one-year-old has the ability to express what one-year-olds think, uh, one-year-olds are weird people. <laughs> and I couldn't believe the things that were coming out of her mouth because, I, you know, it's a baby who can talk. It, it actually was really strange. We would walk around, we'd be in a store, and someone would say, oh, hi, little baby, and expect that, blah, blah, you know, and she'd say, hello. <laughs> <laughs> I like ponies. How are you? <laughs> I, love, I love kids like that because I can't communicate well with very small children. And when they're when they're especially uh, precocious like that, it's so like, I'll have a kid start a conversation with me. I'm like, Oh, what a relief. It does. It, it does an interesting thing to the kids uh, socially though, because my daughter learned to uh, stay away from people her own age. Cause she would walk up and talk to them and then they'd be like, what? And so she would talk to their parents. So I would take her to the park and be like, go play with the other kids. And I'd see her on the other side of the playground talking to a group of adults and cracking them up, telling them about Greek mythology specifically. I remember walking over one time and she's going on and on about Greek mythology to them. And I'm like, Max, please go play with your friends or make friends. Like, go talk to kids. So she got in school and, and she was kind of a loner for the first couple of years, like in kindergarten, she uh, this school that we go to does a you know two-year kindergarten program um and then in first grade the kids start to catch up with her and there was a weird transition period and then it's wonderful by second grade i see her having friends and, and talking and interacting socially and but there was a there was a rough phase where it was like do i really have to hang out with these guys can i go talk to the teacher <laughs> and the teacher's like go <laughs> this is my time 
<laughs> I think that's the kind of problem you want you want to have. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good challenge. Yeah. I don't, everyone thinks like it's great if they read early. It's great if they do this early. It's great. The truth is, it's also okay if they just do things right on time, right on schedule. And each has its own set of problems and advantages and disadvantages. Like I'm glad that she's smart. Sure. You know, but I, I had other parents. I had parents that, that, you know, my daughter was friends with their kids and they're worried. They're like, Oh no, mine isn't talking yet. And I was like, don't sweat it. Like they'll, they'll talk when they're ready. You, you know, yours is swimming. Mine isn't swimming yet. Like you know, chill. <laughs> so, so mm-hmm. it's, it's weird. Like that's yeah. why I don't, I don't want to be overly like, it's great. She's so smart and better than other. No, it's, you know, uh, everybody has their own time. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. My my point was, I guess that it's better than worrying about it if they're very late. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, as a yeah. bit of a late bloomer I've, myself, I've yeah. let the late bloomers bloom. Yeah. <laughs> They'll get to it. Right, right, right. As you as you talk about on the on the album, going to the the special school, the school behind the school. Right. Although that wasn't uh, that wasn't right. that was for uh, behavioral. Oh, that was for being I, trouble. I had bloomed. I yes. had bloomed then, <laughs> but I had a, but I had a <laughs> mouth on me. I ended up at success. I don't talk about this on the album, but I ended up at success because a math teacher told us we couldn't make him mad. Tell us what success is for a second. Uh, success High School is a continuation high school, and I joke about them always giving those schools the worst names because. Um, Success is either delightfully optimistic or mean, <laughs> you know, meanly ironic. Um, hey, what do you want to call the school full of the screw ups? <laughs> How about success? Uh, but so I ended up there because I, I was in regular school, and and uh, I think his name was Mr. Hare. Uh, <laughs> Mr. Hare challenged us to make him mad. He was like, "You guys are wasting your time. You can't make me mad. Go ahead and try. I'll give you each a free shot." Uh-oh. And when he called on me, I succeeded. I made him mad. And he kicked me out of class. And then I got really mad. I was like, no, you said I got a free shot. Like, screw you. you know. And so we went back and forth. He kept writing me referrals, and I kept tearing him up. And then he, finally, I, I walked out of class, and he sent another student out with the referral to take to the office. And I told the other student, would you give that to me? And he goes, yeah, but you have to tell him you took it from me so I don't get in trouble. And I said, sure. <laughs> And then I walked back in the class holding the referral he had just sent out with another kid and tore it up in front of him. And so, <laughs> I mean, just the wrath, you know. Do you know what you did? I, well, yeah, I know exactly what I did to make him mad. Uh, but then I ditched school for a week afterwards um, because I didn't want to face the music. And then when I came back, they were like, oh, yeah, you don't go here anymore. You you go there. <laughs> and And the school that it was behind wasn't my school. It was a different school. I had to take a bus to success. So, uh, and you know, a bus with other troublemakers. So that bus ride was awesome. We had all kinds of fun. And yes, yes, it was a short bus. Different kind of short bus. Yeah. So wait, are, you're, you're holding out on us though. All right. All right. So what I did, um, I mean, I feel bad for, for Andrea. Uh, Andrea? You know, I wish I could. I, yeah, she was the victim of it. He said we couldn't make him mad. I said, well, then let me ask you a question. If it's not going to make you mad, I've always wondered why, if I copy off of Andrea's paper exactly, um, does she get an A and I get a C? And is it related to the fact that you always call on Andrea when you need someone to come up to the board? And then right in front of us, you stare at her ass as if we don't know what's going on. Oh, my God. And And it was true. 
he had a big crush on a girl in the class named Andrea, who, who I had a crush on also. So maybe part of it was, you know, competitive on my part. Um, and he just turns bright red and just out, out. And then I stood up and said, no, I won't get out. You said we could have a free shot. That was my shot. You know? Wow. So, yep, that was it. I was out of his class. <laughs> oh, Andrea, where are you today? Well, you know, in this day and age, you could probably apologize to Andrea. I can go. I'm going to do this right now while we're talking. I'm going to Facebook, and I'm going to type in her name, and I'm going to see if it comes up. Okay, so someone came up immediately. Uh, one mutual friend. Oh. <laughs> um, no, this I don't know. She might be out there. I'll keep trying. I'll, I'll report back to you. In this era of of finding uh, people from your childhood and apologizing to them, uh, someone contacted me a few years ago on, it might have been pre-Facebook, I think it was Facebook, wrote me a nice uh, note and said, hey, Jamie, how you doing? Uh, I just have always thought about this thing since high school where, no, I'm sorry, college, where we were in the bar once night, one night and I called you Jaime. And I didn't, and I later found out that Jaime was like a Jewish slur, and you're of Jewish descent, and and I, 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 and I was like, if it was very, I felt horrible because not only did it not offend me, and I didn't remember it, I didn't remember him. Aha! Uh-huh. <laughs> He's been carrying this around. And I wrote back really nicely, and I was like, dude, how are you? And I later looked through the pictures, and I started to remember him. But that's more my memory. But yeah, yeah. sometimes you don't have to carry around this guilt because the person will be like, yeah, okay. And then you're just embarrassed instead of guilty, which I'd take any day. So I, I had I had one that had a nice ending where um, I was carrying around bitterness and, and the other person was carrying around guilt. I, I worked at this cafe and, and we would all take turns playing music, but I liked hip hop and they didn't like hip hop. Um but I was like, I, listen, I've been listening to your Tom Waits and the Smiths and everything, which are all things I love. But I was like, now you're going to listen to, you know, Boogie Down Productions or Urban Dance Squad or whoever it was. So I put it on and Julie walks over and takes it out of the cassette player and throws it across the kitchen where it slides under the refrigerator. And I was so, so mad at her. And uh, I went to the boss and was like, hey, could you tell Julie to respect my property? And the boss was like, Julie, respect his property. Real flippant, you know, just just like blowing me off. And what's funny is I was mad about it for like 20 years. And then one day my wife and I are in line at Trader Joe's not paying attention. And then I look up and I'm like, oh, my God, the checker is Julie. The person ringing us up is Julie. And she's and, and my wife worked at this cafe also. Uh so Julie right away, oh, my God, how are you guys? I haven't seen you in so long. And I'm like, hey, Julie, how are you? And after she is done ringing us up and we pay and we bag up and everything, she goes, listen, I, this is weird. And you probably don't even remember it. But I just I've carried this around for 20 years. And I have to say, I'm really sorry about that time I took your cassette tape and threw it across the kitchen. That was wrong of me. And I've always felt bad about it. And I'm so glad to have a chance to say I'm sorry. And I went. Well, I, I don't even, what are you talking about? I don't even remember. <laughs> but I totally remembered. And I've been cursing her for two decades. This was almost a really nice story. 
You pretended you didn't know? <laughs> I accepted her apology. That's the important part. Okay? All right. And then, uh, Julie, and then I, I left. And he really. Uh, we're, we're friends. <laughs> we're friends on Facebook to this day. We we uh, converse regularly. Well, you know, may, maybe she'll hear this, and she might. She might. And then know that it really that it mattered. It did. Oh God, it mattered. I, in fact, I think I've even told her since. Like, oh yeah, I totally remembered that. I hated you. <laughs> Those are great. Those are great moments in life because we you carry around these things. I uh, in an episode, uh, I I called up a, a San Francisco friend, um, Beth Lissick. Oh, I I know Beth. Yeah, I I actually know her. I've worked with her. Yeah. In the in the wake of Me Too, one thing that really uh, is in, is I think important is that we don't just either be defensive about or be, or or rail against horrible people but as men kind of actually think about our own lives and sure. she's someone who I knew I could actually approach about something I did years ago and that is that I had I guess I was a couple years new to San Francisco I was walking around the mission lovely day and uh I I'm going to really summarize this cuz it's a whole 15 minute intro to an episode Short, short of it is, saw a cute girl, followed her. We, girl was just the term we used then. Um, and mm. followed her for too long. Didn't follow her home or anything. And eventually she told me this because I blocked it out, that she turned and confronted me at some point, And I ran away. I was like, oh, no. Uh. But so we, talk, I, I, we talked about it this, this 25 years later. And I thought it was really uh, useful and interesting. Um, but uh, yeah, she's great, and she's either 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 in person or uh, via Skype going to be in the first live recording variety show night of fifteen minutes in a, in a couple of weeks. Oh, cool! Yeah, yes, yeah, she, she she's wonderful. She's such a great storyteller, and and really, what she does when she's on stage veers into stand up territory because she's so funny and her timing is so delightful. Yeah. Uh, recently. I've kind of decided I'm not going to, uh, or I'm going to try to resist. Occasionally, a publicist will will contact me to put somebody on, and those are always the most boring conversations because the people are just doing their, they're doing a day of calls and they're bored. But uh, um, this is a really bad lead into a pretty good episode with Lori Kilmartin, where at first I could tell she was like, "Hi, Jamie, end of a long day." Um, where she, I asked her about her you know, kind of greatest accomplishments in terms of, of, of success or things that meant the most to her or, and even after she's been a Conan staffer for what, more than a decade, that's what she does. Nice job. Um, but she talked about a, I think she mentioned late night sets, but also one of the, uh, achievements she never got to do was to do Letterman. Uh Uh-huh. And so I think about this in terms of every comic. And I also talked to one really young comic, Josh Johnson, who had just done his first set. Have Have you ever, or would you want to, or do you still aspire to, to that little piece of greater celebrity to do a late night? Oh, I'd love to. I'd kill. Yeah. Tell me who to kill and I'll kill him. I, I would. Um, but it's interesting because my, uh, my comedy has veered so much further towards the the long form storytelling stuff that I think I can still put together a, a good solid five and I, and I do now and then. Um, but yeah, it's interesting because it's not where my focus is now. 
you know, and that's kind of your, your arc in standups. In the beginning, you're building your solid five, you know, and then you're building your 10. And then uh, if you're lucky, then you get up to where you're working on your 20 and your 45 and your hour. And then once you start getting up there, then you start, you go back to working on your five because now you want television interest and you again have to have a super solid four or five. Um, and, and you obsess over that for a few years. And I had some communication with people at, at a few of the different shows. Um, they looked at some of my stuff. I even had one booker write me and say, I love this bit. I could never put it on TV. It's too dark, but I like it. Please send me more. And I guess none of the more grabbed them. Um, you know, and, and it was a bit about my daughter being a tiger and she's putting her baby dolls in a drawer. And I asked what it was. And she said, it's an oven, daddy, you got to cook them. Uh, <laughs> and there's a part of me that doesn't think it's that dark, though, because I'm like, she's pretending to be a tiger. And yeah, it's kind of cute. Like, it's not really dark, but um, but it does. It does have uh, historical and cultural associations that, that didn't occur to me that, that maybe make it darker. Um and and so after a few of those close calls, I, there was a point where I just moved on, where I was just like, well, I'm going to work on doing these these shows that I've been wanting to do for a long time, where it's an hour that the, the whole hour is themed. It's part of, you know, one overreaching part, uh, plot line. Um, so now I'm doing that for rehire, and it's about my employment history. <laughs> and that's the whole hour. And, and it's really a big, solid piece. And when that's done, I, I have the next couple hours planned also. Do you ever come all the way east to perform? Oh, all the time. I, I hit New York at least once a year, yeah. I'm working right now on maybe being there in August. I'll keep an eye out. Would you be hoping to do that that show? Yes. How long have you, how long have you been doing stand-up? Ooh, 18 years, 19 years, somewhere in there. And what was it can you give us a couple of lowlights or highlights of the work history that's in the piece that are pre or during that or still i assume i don't know do you still have non-comedy day jobs oh um they have freelance stuff uh so um yeah i talk about working uh the the shortest job i ever held i, I worked at a gelato place for literally like three minutes um <laughs> they hired me trained me you know which doesn't take long uh, they give you money. You give them gelato, <laughs> preferably the flavor they asked for. <laughs> uh, okay, now we're going to go in the back and call your references. And I was like, why? <laughs> why would you do that? Oh. <laughs> you know, because I've made all my <laughs> references up like I always do. And uh, so then they came out and they were like, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> so I had to leave. Um, I worked at a golf course uh, driving the little golf cart with the cage around it to scoop the golf balls up on the range while golfers tried to hit me with the balls as hard as they could. That was fun. Um, I worked at Kentucky Fried Chicken, where me and a friend learned to uh, batter our and flour our fingers, and then we could deep fry them. Oh, yes. I saw mention of this, but I didn't know. I hadn't. Yeah. 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 And, and eventually, you know, the, the piece de triomphe there was when I fried my whole hand. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, lots of lots of horrible jobs. I mean, many that didn't even make it into the into the special so maybe there'll be an extended or a book version oh, okay so is it a is it is it a videoed special or just a performance special is there is there a way to see it we're going to record it we're going to record it in february of next year and i'm already talking with a couple different people about releasing it so uh, it'll be out there i mean it's my whole thing it's like 
especially right now where, where I have a kid and, and I do tour a fair amount, but, but I stay home enough to be, you know, to be a dad. I'm, I'm a full-time presence in my daughter's life. And that's really important to me. So that's where recording is fantastic is that I can reach out to the rest of the world from here. And so I'd like to record every year and that's the goal. And that's actually always been the goal. Me and my, my previous record label disagreed on that timing. So any label I work with in the future will allow me to put something out every year because that's it's what I've always wanted to do and what I will do. I love silent comedies. Uh, I'm a huge fan of Charlie Chaplin. I've been watching Charlie Chaplin all my life. Um, see, and that should have triggered a big applause break because Chaplin's great. And it's okay. No, it's too late now. We'll be pandering. Uh, <laughs> But I want Charlie to be bigger. And what's upsetting me now is that there's younger people coming up who are like, Charlie who? And they don't even know Charlie Chaplin. And I'm like, if you don't know Charlie Chaplin, I don't want you in my country. <laughs> you know? And I don't mean to sound like Donald Trump. All the people that he doesn't want in the country, I want in the country. They can stay. I bet most of them know who Charlie Chaplin is. <laughs> like, to me, that should be the citizenship test. Like, you know about Charlie Chaplin? Of course I do. He's an international star. You know? uh, but, but I don't want to be a jerk. So what I'd rather do is help you uh, and tell you who Charlie Chaplin is. Um, you know when you're watching old newsreels, occasionally you'll see footage of Hitler where he's like dancing and being silly and you're confused? That was actually a totally different guy. Same mustache, different fella. So that clears that up for you, right? You're like, God, he killed all those people, but he seems so jovial. <laughs> totally different guy. And I hope that you'll go home and you'll, and you'll watch some Chaplin. Uh, and what I really hope is that you can find a kid to watch Chaplin with you. Because if you really want to appreciate the, the pathos and the heart that Chaplin put into his movies, watch them with a kid. Because they ask questions. And when you answer those questions, you're like, oh, man, that stuff went deep, you know? Me and my daughter are watching a Chaplin film, and she says to me, Daddy, was Charlie a good guy or a bad guy? And I said, oh, I always assumed he was a good guy, honey. Why do you ask? She says, well, Charlie's always stealing food. It's like, oh, shit, that's true. <laughs> that dude's a little wiener wrangler. He'll take a hot dog right out of a bun. He doesn't care. <laughs> give me that. Going. And then when you think about how to answer that, it becomes very complicated. I said to her, sweetheart, Charlie stole food because he was hungry during a time when it was very hard to get by. And that's not the same as stealing because you're lazy or because you're greedy. That's a pretty heavy concept to lay on a five-year-old, right? But she seemed to get it. And I was, I was proud of her, and I was proud of myself for not dumbing it down. We keep watching the movie. She accepts that Charlie's going to steal some food. But then she says to me, hey, Daddy, why are the police officers always so mean to Charlie? And I wanted to give her an equally honest answer. So I said, well, the thing is, honey, cops are dicks. <laughs> Most of the time, they're not your friend. I know what they tell you in school, but watch out. Especially for your friends that aren't as pale as you. Help them. Use your privilege. Help them. Uh, Charlie goes to jail in that movie. We were watching Modern Times. Charlie goes to jail. He spends the whole movie hustling to try to get by, find a roof to put over his head, put some food in his stomach, and he ends up in jail. And my daughter doesn't know what jail is, and I have to explain jail to her. You know, weird place like a human zoo with the stripy pajamas. I was like, how do I explain jail? I said, honey, well, here's the thing. Uh, we've decided as a society that we're totally okay with housing people and feeding people. We just require that they commit a crime first. <laughs> Simple enough. 
And of course, we're doing that again. Yeah, I'll wait. <laughs> we're doing it again. We're locking people up for the crime of being homeless. We're locking homeless people up because they're committing that crime of not having a home. And I'm totally okay with it. I'm totally okay with using our tax dollars to put people in jail for not having homes. But not regular jail. Don't put them in regular jail with people that have been violent or smoked pot. <laughs> Let's put them in a special jail for homeless people. And I'm not trying to go easy on them. Make sure this jail has all the regular jail stuff, like a place to sleep and hot food and an education. <laughs> and then maybe give them keys to the jail so they can come and go as they please. <laughs> and I don't know, maybe make it house-shaped. <laughs> You mentioned the sadness uh, in something I read or saw of, about Robin Williams passing. Um, and I'm just wondering if he, you just, uh, I, in my year of doing comic, uh, uh, of trying to do stand-up, one of my only highlights was the night that we all showed up at, at Cobb's that night when, you know, sometimes people get, you know, is it every Monday when, when the local, you can get five minutes. And I was never, I was like still years away from being, getting up, but I would always be there in the back of the room. Right. Trying to make friends. Uh, and one night, uh, Robin just showed up and bumped all of us and went on forever. And you could tell at the beginning there was some, oh, fuck. You know, like people wanted to get up or they were supposed to get up that night. And of all the audiences to win over, like everyone was just so ecstatic by the time he was done. And all wanted to go say hi to him. And nobody was a bitter comic at the end of that set. And he probably stood there for hours and said hello to everyone. Yeah, yeah. So did yeah. you know him as a fan, uh, simply, or did you? were you ever, you know? No, I, I call myself a friend. Um, oh, you do? I didn't know that. Sorry, sorry. Yeah, so we worked together at the Throckmorton Theater, which is in Mill Valley, where he lived. And they do an amazing show every Thursday night. And it's a $20 show where, you know, you really don't know who was who's booked. I think they announced it the week of, but... Um, but no one cares. They go because maybe Robin's going to back then Robin would drop in Dana Carvey drops in. Um, just so many of these guys live in the neighborhood and we'll just, just happen by and also lesser known people, but who, you know, this, this Throckmorton more audience knows that they deliver. Um, so I worked with him probably a half a dozen times there and, and also just ran into him other times there, you know, where we were both hanging out and, just sweet and generous and open and you could ask robin you know hey listen to this i have this joke i want you to listen to and he, he would make sure to go in and listen to your set so he could tell you what he thought of that particular joke he had notes um one time he missed it i came out and he's like oh i didn't get to see your joke and i go oh, that's all right robin you catch it next time and he goes well would, would you do it now and i was like in the parking lot he goes yeah I was like <laughs> okay <laughs> so i'm standing in a parking lot performing for literally an audience of one and that one is robin williams and at the end of it he goes ah that's great you know <laughs> like, thanks robin <laughs> um so yeah he's he was delightful and and i think that one of the definite highlights of my career and, and this is going to totally be bragging but I, I don't care i it made me feel like a million dollars which was what robin could do i walked into this pizza place around the corner from the throckmorton right after they had finished taping the set list 
at the Throckmorton. And I had just finished recording my album Elf Orgy in San Francisco. So I knew they were recording the set list. I went over to say hello. And I walk in the pizza place. And as I walk in, in front of all my comedy peers and in front of other big names as well, Robin stands up as I walk in the door and goes, Keith, Keith, I saw your bit about knocking on the door on YouTube and it's wonderful. Come, come talk to me. <laughs> so all these heads are turned on. Who the hell's that? Who's Keith? You know, and, and then I walked over to talk to Robin and the thought, one, him, he knew what he was doing to say it to me publicly like that. He knew that that was a nice thing to do. But just the thought, he did know the bit. And I was like, shit, Robin Williams was at home looking me up on YouTube. Wow. How incredible is that? That's know? terrific. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, I knew him and, and I loved him very much. And, and he was uh, he was the one. They say, you know, never meet your heroes. And I've certainly had a couple of cases of that being true lately. Uh, <laughs> but not Robin. Robin was everything I could ever want him to be and more. You just, you just, that, that's... That's a beautiful story, and it, it, it supports my argument, which is meet your heroes. I talk about on here a lot because I've done it a lot, and I've just cold-called you know people, and I've talked to David Sedaris several times in person, and I managed to get him to talk to me on this because I was unabashedly a fan. Um, and I think you, you can Google and see the lists of why you shouldn't meet your heroes. They could be a drunk. They'll hit on your girlfriend. Yeah, but that what's but the worst like so that what? can happen? Yes, or they could be, yeah. and they, they're human beings, and or they could be really gracious and nice. So Jeffrey Brown, Jeffrey Brown did the artwork for my new album cover. I I met Jeffrey Brown because I wrote him a fan letter after his comic Clumsy came out. Um, and then and then we ended up hanging out and we got along well, and and now he did the art for my cover. So that's a really nice example of meeting one of my heroes. The my album Alforgy. The artwork was done by Wendy Penny, who's been a hero of mine since I was in junior high reading ElfQuest. She's an artist and writer behind ElfQuest. You know, and I sent her and her husband a letter explaining that I had a joke about masturbating to their comics. <laughs> and, and they wrote back and said, wow, you know, and Richard implied that, that he might have fapped to him a few times himself. <laughs> but next thing you know, she's doing, she's drawing me as an elf to put on the cover of my album how cool is that you know um so yeah meeting your heroes can be a, a really great thing <laughs> yeah and they could be mean to you but if you don't risk it eh, in five years what will you be doing if life is good uh, just 100 percent living off of writing and saying funny things uh, for mass consumption um and my daughter will be old enough to uh, go on tour with me. So in the summers, I would love to, you know, have a, um, I love these, these uh, class B van motorhomes awesome. and do comedy and have my family with me, sort of have my cake and eat it too. Uh, that's where I would love to be. in Well, I hope I, I hope I meet you on that road at some point. Well, thanks. It's really good to talk to you and I hope we'll do it again. Maybe. That sounds good, man. Cool. Thanks so much. Take care. That's it. That's the show. You can find out more about where to find all things Keith Lowell Jensen at keithlowelljensen.blogspot.com. That's Keith Lowell Jensen, spelled in the ways you'd think those, word, those names would be spelled, .blogspot.com. 
Keith also has a Patreon site. He says Patreon. I say Patreon, but we're not going to call the whole thing off um, for his comic strip that he makes with Evan Svoboda. And you can find that by going to patreon.com and searching for Keith's name. We also have a Patreon page that you can find if you search patreon.com and look for 15 Minutes Jamie Berger, in which you can pledge as little as a buck an episode to help us get this show made. You can find all the episodes of the show at 15minutesjamieberger.com. That's 1-5-M-I-N-U-T-E-S-J-A-M-I-E-B-E-R-G-E-R.com. Ed Patnode is the intrepid engineer. Christian Kandari made the music. This is 15 Minutes. I am Jamie Berger.